So here we are, doing the final wrap-up of the Halo series for now, since I don't have a, win a Windows 10 for Halo Wars 2, and I do not have an Xbox for Halo 5, and Infinite obviously isn't out yet, so this is it. Um, I know that's a bit of a repeat, and I apologize, but several people were still asking in the comments, so I thought I'd go ahead and mention that. Let's go ahead and paint the nice big target over my face really quickly here. I liked this game. And... If that's enough for you to stop playing the video, this would be a good time to do so. If that is not, well, it's obviously a little bit more complex than that, because early on I didn't think I was going to like the game. The early parts of the game didn't work for me from either axis, but I want to talk about gameplay first. One of the first things that happens is we have a QTE segment. Okay, the very existence of something like that is kind of not really a Halo thing, right? The very next thing we have is a big dramatic escape from the ship, or the pieces of the ship as, as it is plumbing to its death, while someone is yelling in our ear about how terrible it is, and the whole thing gives me a very Call of Duty vibe. It is worth noting I like Call of Duty, or rather, I like the good Call of Duties, of which there's one, two, three, four that I know of. Not counting the old ones, because I don't remember those that well. So, it's not a complaint. It's a commentary. The tone of the game is very different very quickly, and this is going to sound like the weirdest thing I could possibly say, but again... I've already painted the target over my face. I'm okay with the tone being different. If someone handed me Halo and said, Lore, make Halo, I would be like, okay, and I would try to make it my own thing. Because, I, that's, because I'm not the original creators. <laughs> because I want to make my own stamp on it, right? Now, I do want to try to retain some semblance of soul of the original. Duh, because otherwise I might as well not even be making something that is called Star Trek. I mean Star Wars. I mean Halo. But I would still actually want to try and do my own thing. I only mention all this, though, because one of the bigger complaints I've heard from other people is that it just doesn't feel like a Halo. That complaint is one of the only ones I don't have about the intro. My complaints are the fact that the nar narrative is... Uh, well, it's not the worst I've seen. That would probably be in Halo Wars. Instead, it's more weird in the way it's presented. There's a lot of just typical... Hollywood-style tropes going on. The person yelling at you to encourage you to rush forward. I already mentioned that. Um, there's some issues with several cutscenes, which are just kind of like, why is this even here? Some of the some of the logic is kind of absent. Like, why, why are we fighting the Covenant again? Yes, I do know that's answered in the books, but it certainly isn't answered in the game. There's just Covenant here, and they're called Covenant consistently because you gotta have Covenant in a Halo game, I guess? At least we didn't have the Flood in this one. God... There's a lot of narrative disconnect earlier, and I know I usually talk about narrative later, but I wanted to talk about this first, because the first part of the game really felt lacking from both axes. The gameplay of it was just kind of... boring, is the way I want to phrase that. Most of the arenas in the early parts of the game are nice, big, open, empty areas with nothing interesting about them whatsoever. No interesting terrain design, like I praised in Reach. No interesting set pieces, like I praised in 3. Instead, it's just, here's an area. And there's some enemies. In fact, there are a lot of enemies. And I know that's a strange thing to complain about in FPS, but when I say there's a lot of enemies, I think there were too many enemies. A little bit of the Dragon Age 2 problem, right? Here's another wave of enemies, and here's another wave of enemies, and here's... And it got boring after a while. This is further hampered by the fact that there was no usage of what I usually refer to as gimmicks in this stuff. Nothing that varied it up, nothing that spiced it or, or gave you some kind of new gameplay fun. The closest we had was the Escape and the Ghost, which was really, really boring. It was one long, uninterrupted, holding down right mouse button. 
with nothing to really dodge or avoid, no enemies attacking you, just a lot of explosions and a lot of noise and a lot of boring. And it took, took way too long, and the whole time Cortana is yelling in your ear about how exciting this is. Now, all of this is mostly the early half of the game, the first five or so missions out of, I think, like 12 or something like that. So up to this point, I'm just like, Ugh. Then, well, then we have the first mission where we encounter the Promethean. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Uh, and we encounter the Promethean enemies. It's like, oh, okay, a new enemy type. Cool, I, I like it. Yeah, this is exactly what I wanted in Halo Wars. So, hey, new enemy type. All right, cool. Uh, we go through it and we start fighting these things. And, again, this is where, I mean, it's neat to have something different. And aesthetics do matter. Uh, I said this on camera. Uh, you want to give me a new enemy that looks different? Cool. If you want to give me a new enemy that's different from a lore perspective, great. If you want to give me a new enemy that plays differently, mechanically is different, then that's awesome. Unfortunately, they only really managed the first two. The first two they managed quite well, so I am still happy to fight the Prometheans. But ultimately, I feel like they fell apart a little bit on actually designing the enemies from a purely mechanical and gameplay perspective, because most of them were just copy-paste of other types of enemies we've already fought. Same with most of the new weapons they added for the Promethean weapons. They're cool! And I enjoyed them. You know, new skin, new sound effects, you know. The disintegration thing, the fact that they disintegrate, because of course they do because they were fighting Flood. So it makes perfect sense that they would disintegrate to make sure there's nothing left behind, blah, blah, blah. Or the weapons they use would be fire-based, because of course they are, because they were fighting Flood. Again, all of this makes perfect sense. It's just, from a pure mechanics perspective, they didn't really vary it up much. There were two notable exceptions I wanted to talk about, as far as the enemies. Uh, one is the dogs. There's actually a couple varieties of dogs which change which weapon they have equipped. But that's not the variety. That's not the cool thing. The cool thing was that they could walk on the walls. Now, I'm not 100% sure, so take this with a grain of salt, but from observational analysis, it looks to me like most of the dogs and the running on the walls thing they can do, you know, basically they can perch or climb up or, you know, go around a ledge to get at you, that kind of stuff. They only do that when scripted. And usually what would happen is they'd start or spawn on a wall, and then they'd walk off it and fight you like a normal enemy. In other words, it didn't feel like it was baked into their actual AI. It was just a scripted event that would happen at certain points in certain missions. That's still cool. And it is the thing that really varied them up the most amongst the other enemy types. But it was just kind of... Eh. You'll notice there's a trend here as I'm talking about this, isn't there? That leads me to the other many. Now, these guys are substantially different, right? No, actually, these are very similar to the Flood, but they're still cool. It's the little floating dudes. Little floating dudes can buff. Well, no, let me let me walk that back. The little floating dudes can res. They can also be spawned uh, by, the, by the knights, I think was the name. But the floating dudes, I don't know their name, please forgive me. The guys with the two fans on either side, those guys can res other units. That... Again, is is not actually a new thing, and I can't believe I didn't even think about this, because it's just the flood over again. The, why weren't these guys in Halo Wars? That was something that actually changed up the gameplay loop in a, in a substantial enough way that I felt, felt it was noteworthy. It didn't even occur to me that the flood did that before that until I started talking about it five seconds ago, so I suppose I have to walk back that comment, but it was still something that was interesting. I still liked fighting the Prometheans. I did, like I said. You know, new skin, cool. New lore, cool. But the mechanics just kind of fell apart a little bit. And it also felt like in several cases they didn't know what to do with some of the encounter design. As I've said before in an FPS, a lot of encounter design has to do with which enemies you fight, with which other enemies you fight, where, 
which weapons they drop, which ammo they drop, which items are scattered throughout the area. Now, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Terrain is relevant. But the encounter design is all about, you know, bundles of enemies. You bundle this guy with this guy, and as a direct consequence of this, this changes how you fight both of them. The Doom approach, as I've said many, many times. It didn't feel like they really knew what to do with them here. I suppose it's because they're brand new enemies, which they weren't sure about. But for the most part, you would just fight the dogs, the knights, and the floaters, and that that's it. Now, I'm looking at my notes here really quick. Uh, the teleport is this part of the support dudes, the revive dudes, the anti-flood thing. Um, this is a good time to mention why I feel they failed at the guns aspect. And I know I'm going to get some flack for this. I think the Promethean guns should have been Doom. Just absolutely destructive against, you know, just about anything. Uh, but especially the Covenant is what I mean here. So let me, let me, let me walk this back a second. What I think would have been cool is you get your first actual Promethean weapon and it absolutely destroys Covenant. Just, just obliterates them. It's still, let's use math term. If this is the relative power of the enemy and this is the relative power of the gun, most of the, pretty much the entire game is this. They're equal. You do equal damage to equal enemy, right? So this is how it would have been for fighting the other Prometheans, which is the dominant enemy you fight for most of the game. What I would have done is I would have made it so you get the cov or excuse me, you get the Promethean guns, and they absolutely destroy the Covenant, who are now down here. So the few Covenant, because you don't actually fight that many Covenant after this point, the few Covenant you fight, you shred with Promethean weapons. Like, they, they specifically do increased damage to shields or hull or whatever to the Covenant forces. That would add a little bit of a difference in beat and tempo, and it would have made the escalation feel a little bit smoother. Instead of, you're fighting another enemy, because in many ways the Prometheans are just a copy-paste of the Covenant. Yes, I know that makes sense. No, it doesn't change anything from a gameplay or mechanics perspective. But it would have been really cool if it's like... Okay, you're fighting, you're fighting the Covenant, uh, you're fighting the Covenant, and you get their weapons and you fight them, and oh, what's this Promethean one? And you just start absolutely annihilating the Covenant. And then you start fighting Prometheans, and you're back on a leveling playing ground. I think that little staircase kind of a thing in the gameplay design would have been really cool, but alas, we did not get that. Uh, one of the reasons, uh, I think it was Nerozaz mentioned this in chat, he said that that would never work, because then you would have to balance it around multiplayer, to which I say, uh, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> Things working differently in multiplayer and single player is an extremely common thing. It is so common it always boggles my mind when some developers don't seem to understand that that's normal. And remember, what I just mentioned, this thing, this is an integer. <laughs> this would be so easy to change in a simple database. So all you need to do is make it so that in multiplayer, everything's equal again, and there you go. Problem solved. Um, Gameplay-wise, I want to mention uh, a couple other things. The So I mentioned how the mission design kind of sucks early on, but then they start to vary it up a little bit. They give you the Mammoth, and they give you... The Mammoth mission was probably one of the better designed ones, from a purely mechanics perspective. The Mammoth was smart enough to stop for you. It, there was possibility of actually you know, getting back on board. The AI would try to help you substantially, and you know, they, if you got in into one of the... Uh, the warthogs inside the mammoth. The war the mammoth would stop, and the bay would open so you could get out. They had little scripts to pay attention to what you're doing, so that it would properly support you as you're going through the mission. Effectively, a good escort mission is what that mission actually was, which is a rare thing and deserves to be uh, praised for that. But 
The other things they did well is they gave you a lot of uh, pieces to work with. There was the, the new turrets you had. There was the, the beam thing, which will shoot the giant frickin' eight-meter-wide death cannon on the back of the mammoth. Uh, the terrain was actually used to good effect. There was lots of enemy forces and vehicles, which you could capture if you wanted to. And, of course, you end up going into the invincible enemy ship in order to smash it from within. And they give you the jetpack in that mission, too. In short, it was a well-designed mission, and that was pretty much the turning point for me, was the Mammoth mission. From that point on, most of the missions were actually well-designed and had interesting set pieces or interesting layout. And, of course, there's the part where we get the giant freaking mech. It's not actually that giant. It would be minuscule by most mech settings. But it was still a mech. I think it was the Mantis is what it was called. And it was relatively simple. It has a machine gun, which has an overheat mechanic, but infinite ammo. It has a launcher, which you can rapid fire simply by mouse clicking until you're out. Or you can hold down to fire all and lock on in one volley. And it has relatively smooth movement. It does regenerate shields, but very slowly. But it has a lot of shields to regenerate. So basically what you're dealing with is rather than rapid fire regeneration, you just have a larger health pool, which takes longer to refill. Very Diablo 3 kind of a feel. And you have the giant stomp, which basically just is your melee. It takes care of anything in an AoE around you. It's also awesome. And they did this, they did this very, very right, because what they did, and this is what a lot of games will do, they gave you a moment, I think this is actually before the Mammoth mission, but whatever. They give you a taste of power and let you play with it, and then they make you work for it. There are actually a lot of games that use this exact concept very well. I'm not going to spoil any specifics, because they're great moments in just about every game. Because they give you the toy, and they give you basically a playground, is what it is. Just, here, have fun. And while you're doing that, while you're just smashing through everything all willy-nilly, what you're also doing is you're learning how to use the new toy that you've been given. The next thing they do is they give you something actually hard, something that normally you probably wouldn't be able to deal with because it's far too difficult, or it hits too fast, or it hits too hard, or there's too many of them, or whatever. And then, with your new toy, now you are at equal footing for this new hard arena, and that's exactly what they do here. They actually do this twice in this game. It's very good stuff. And it's good design, and it's awesome, and it's very fun to go through. And like I said, the latter part of the game really worked. I know that's it, everyone hates the phrase, it gets better after four hours, but this game got better after four hours. It did. It is a statement of fact, um, in my opinion, obviously. <laughs> For me, the game got better after four hours. That's a statement of fact. Whether the game gets better in an objective sense is not true, because, of course, there's no such thing as a proper objective review, which these are not. Obviously, this isn't a review at all. If you want the review, you're going to have to go watch the stream. Anyways. So, the game started getting good. Cool. And it, 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 it stumbled a little bit towards the end. But what's weird is the narrative started shifting in a good direction, too. Let's rewind a little bit. So at the early parts of the game, I already complained about this. You know, Cortana, there was a lot of telling, not showing, a lot of hand-waving, and a lot of awkward dialogue. And the whole time I'm just like, okay. Uh, we also, then we fast-forward a little bit, we encounter the Prometheans. What we see at the very beginning, one of the early signs that there is actually good narrative, uh, good narrative construction in this game, is that right off the beginning there's this big scanning beam, the amber scanning beam. Uh, as with most games in this era, amber and teal are very dominant in color usage. But as most games in general, color usage is a very important thing in general. It, and there's a lot of good reasons to do uh, color distinguishment when it comes to game design, or actually just fiction for that matter. It, it works in movies, and it works in television in the exact same manner. 
if you see green, you know what green means because it's been established that green means you know, the Borg, for example. So you see green and it's like, oh, oh. Now that's a bad example, but you do get the idea. So we know that amber means the didact. And we know that, you know, as, as the librarian, you know, does her thing, that changes it from being the didact's thing. And you, you, you get the general and just an idea of what I'm trying to talk about here. So we see the big amber beam right at the beginning. And we know that that's not Covenant because that's not their style and approach. So what is this? Then we fight the Covenant. Oh, that's distracting. Oh, wait, there's a scan again. Now, the game screws up in one way here, and that uh, Cortana flat out says, that's not a Covenant scanner. That's not a Covenant beam. We, we already figured this out. Like I said, there's a little bit of too much telling, not showing early on. Then what happens is as we're getting closer, we're trying to get this message out to the, uh, the infinity. Excuse me, the peak of infinity. <laughs> and as we're trying to get this message out and inform them of stuff, the message keeps only working just enough to keep us going to the next area. Because he was messing with us, because he was trying to encourage us to get there and to interact with the prison in order to release him. And of course, only a reclaimer could actually interact with the prison to release her husband. So all of that lines up pretty neatly. His big reveal and the lead up to it is pretty good and probably where the narrative finally started turning around for me. So he gets out and he's evil. He's an interesting evil. He is pride. This is a person, a man, if you want to call him that, who this is how we're doing things. And he very, he's very dinosaur about it. This is how we're doing things. Well, we could use the halo rings. We're not using the halo rings. We actually saw that already in the terminals in Halo 3. We're not using the halo rings. We can do this conventionally. We can win this. Well, what about, you know, it's, it's the human's fault anyways. Also, I have to admit the back narrative kind of falls apart for me a little bit here because apparently the humans and the, oh yeah, by the way, the humans were part of the Forerunner series. Spoiler alert. Uh, humans that were around back in the day. There were a lot of hints of that going into this. That doesn't really surprise me. Anyways, so, <clears throat> and yes, I know the whole idea that the humans originally were the Forerunners. Let's, let's just move on. So, the humans and the Forerunners fought a thousand-year war while the humans were running from the Flood. Okay, that's stupid. I'm sure that something somewhere in some book explains that, but as presented in the game, that is a nonsense idea. I want you to imagine a millennia of warfare. That's not the part that bothers me during which at no point in time anyone ever tried to communicate or explain what was going on in something that would probably take up maybe 15 kilobytes of information. Flood picture. We are fleeing these guys. Send. <laughs> Done, right? So, okay, ignoring my own problems with that, which I certainly do have. Um, this person is absolutely, he was livid at the idea that he could do anything other than the one path he has chosen for himself. And when it wasn't working, he was going to do it again. And when it wasn't working, he was going to do it again. He just has to do it better. And I actually understand and sympathize with that quite a lot. Now, in my defense, it's usually not stubbornness in my case. Really, I am a pretty stubborn person, but that's not what I'm referring to. In my case, it's usually, well, it looks like this is possible. You know what that's like, right? Like, sometimes you're, you're playing something or you're doing something, and it's like, well, this... This doesn't, this isn't happening, right? And you know, you can tell. You can tell it's not happening. And then sometimes it's like, no, oh, I think that could, I think it could work. I need to be quicker, or I need to be faster, or I need to be more precise. If I, I can get this screw out of here. Let me just get, you know. You, you get that feel and vibe of this is possible. All I have to do is do better. And that's the feeling I got is that that was his initial mentality. Then he fell into sunk cost fallacy, actual sunk cost fallacy, which is something that a lot of people mistake. Sunk cost fallacy, for those of you not aware, 
is the idea that you something has to have value because of the fact that you have already burnt so much upon it, either in terms of literal value, money or in time or in effort or whatever. And it feels very much to me like he was like, I have sunk so much of my time and effort and life into this. It has to be worth it. This has to be the choice. That's when the stubbornness comes in. And that's when the pride comes in. Because, God, he was so pissed at humans. This is your fault. You unleashed the flood. You brought the flood to our corners. You are going to pay this. And he says it twice in this game. It is a mercy to imprison you in these forms. We don't even know in this game if these people are actually still aware or conscience or cognizant in any way after the composer has been used on them. If they are, in many ways, what he is doing is exactly the same as the flood from a you know, metaphoric sense or a thematic sense. So that's cute. And, of course, very apropos. Uh, hang on, I'm looking at my notes here really quick. I want to make sure. Okay, so next I want to talk about Captain Obstinate Bureaucrat. Bureaucrat, excuse me. Now, I didn't write down his name. I actually do remember it, but I'm going to deliberately not say it because screw him. Now, I've known people like him in real life. Uh, it's the guy who, it's the captain of the Infinity, excuse me, Apex of Infinity. I'm sorry, it's a joke. I shouldn't do that. Who, I know it's just called the Infinity. He, um, Made me want to slug him? Twice. Now, that's impressive. Some people say if you get that kind of emotional reaction out of someone, that's a good thing. Uh, I don't agree, personally. But it varies. It varies on specifics, and that's probably just going to vary on the individual level. But the scene where he angrily shot down... He, so what what happens is he gets this this information from Chief. Master Chief, who he knows who he is. And he ignores him. He, he humors him. He humors him. Yeah, sure, it could be a thing. But it's probably not a thing. It's whatever. And then he dismisses him and, and, and just, and then he actually acts like he's going to arrest this man. I'm going to arrest you because screw you. This little penprick who was able to quote regulation, an esoteric regulation, I might add, from memory. This is a tiny little dict rules lawyer who can go to hell. Now, it was still a well-done scene. What really salvaged the scene for me is no one was on the captain's side. Arrest this man! No one moves. And when you go down, not only is Kelsey uh, uh, or Casey, I, I didn't write down his name, the other guy, the lieutenant, he's, he's got your back. But when you actually get the playthrough and you actually start playing through, everyone's like, oh, Master Chief, I'm so sorry about everything that's going on. I wish we could help you out with this. And they've all got your back. Because of course they do. Not just because of the player character. That's not the relevant part. This is the Master Chief who has a little bit of experience and practice with dealing with these kind of affairs. Cost-benefit ratio. If, it, if you have someone like him telling you, hey, there's a big threat here, it's possible he's lying. But you should probably go ahead and listen to him. The only thing that made that more satisfying is when we get back to Earth, it turns out he's been canned. I hope he got court-martialed and kicked out of the military. So, Mr. Obstinate Bureaucrat has his thing. And then we see Scientist Lady. I didn't write down her name. Uh, Tollington, Tollington, actually, I did write down her name. It's in the review. I wrote down her name right. Uh, Tilton was her name, the scientist. There's a very good scene. It's brilliant. What happens is the chief tells her, you know, we need to nuke this place. And all this data and all this information in the last five years of your work is going away. He doesn't say this with any kind of glee or malice. It's just, this is life. This is the situation we have. So this is how this is going to happen. 
And what happens is she portrays a huge amount of emotions in a fairly short period of time without even speaking. And then when she does finally speak, the voice actress nails it because you get across all of that regret and feeling. But there's no, there's no like, screw you. You know, there's no bitterness directed at the chief. She knows he's right. And he is right. She is thankful that he's here. She is thankful that he's saving them. She understands that this is what must be done. It just sucks. And the way she portrays that is brilliant. Immediately before, that's another cutscene I really love, where Cortana is really showing off how bad her rampancy has become as they go through, as they're on approach. And she's having this argument with a memory of herself while she's being told to pilot the ship. Well, while she is actively piloting the ship and piloting it wrong. And Chief is like, Cortana, Cortana! This, uh... This brings me to my final thoughts on this work. Master Chief and Cortana. Now, they've been degrees of characters before now, but in my opinion, this is where they are best as characters. Master Chief was described as a sociopath within this very game. Word for word, not my word choice. I disagree. I think Master Chief was a non-person. Not from an out-of-character perspective, from an in-character perspective. Droid effect, which describes the purpose by which someone can become sentient, applies to human beings just as much as it does to droids or robots or AI or whatever. We don't just get born and instantly three seconds out of the womb, we are fully sentient sapient beings. We develop that over time. Now, <laughs> what I'm trying to explain here is that there wasn't a complexity of emotional framework to Master Chief. Because... There can't be. He was a child soldier. He went through this horrible training regime and he was reprogrammed and rebuilt into being this death machine. That's what the whole program was. None of this is an insult, by the way. One person way back in my Last of Us 2 video was like, I don't know why you're insulting her by calling her sociopath. I wasn't. That's not an insult. In fact, I thought it was one of the better parts of her character. And it is not an insult here. This is simply the nature of what kind of character he was. However, there has been one constant, one other in individual that he has had regular human contact with, and that is Cortana. Funnily enough, the reverse is true, too. All he has is her, and all she has is him. These two broken, tragic individuals are victims. Neither one of them should have been what they are, but circumstance and emergency kind of mandated it. Now... It's also fascinating that he has to effectively care for her, something he's probably completely ill-equipped to do. But he has to, because no one else can, and frankly, no one else will, as we saw with Mr. Captain Osner, bureaucrat earlier. He is all she has. Now I'm going to comment on this here. I don't think there's a romantic vibe between the two, but it wouldn't bother me if there was. What I see is the connection between two people who literally have no other connecting points. Oh, sure, they know other people, but you know what I mean by that strong emotional bond, right? A bond of a brother or a sister or a father or, or a mother or an uncle or a loved one or a child or a blood brother, someone who is a very a true friend, a nakama, if you will. This kind of connection, this real emotional connection, that's the important stuff. The other stuff matters, don't mistake me. Friends and acquaintances matter, but a real friend, a true friend, that's something else. That's something special. And that's the only one these two have, I feel like I'm repeating myself, is each other. That's the only strong emotional connection they have is with one another. Whether that's romantic or not, frankly, in my opinion, doesn't matter.
And that's important to lead into because what ends up happening is she effectively sacrifices herself for him. And in the end, he sacrifices himself for the mission. Now, he doesn't die, of course. But she does shred herself. She should have, she should not be doing all the stuff she's doing. And all the stuff she's doing is very clearly making her condition much worse. Then the didact is there on the bridge, and he decides to go after Mr. Master Chief. And, um, congratulations, buddy. You just pissed off the AI's, you just pissed off the AI by attacking the one and only thing she really cares about. I'm not doing this for humanity. Welcome home, John. And as she fades in, in the spot where he has been teleported to in the hard light shields that are defending him from the destruction, we, he just stands there, unmoving, incapable, as there is literal devastation all around him because his world has fallen apart because the only thing the only one he had is now gone i was asked on stream if i would continue i would have cortana after this game and my answer is no no this is an excellent terminus point for that character and a very sea change for chief himself and something that he is going to have to move forward on somehow If it's not obvious, uh, I rather enjoyed this game, especially the latter half, which just nailed it from so many respects and so many perspectives. The Halo series as a whole was not one I was particularly interested in, when all I knew was the broader, higher-level lore, the really high-tier stuff, the ridiculous stuff, as I like to call it. Having played through these games has made me substantially more interested in it. It, even if not for the show, I would probably seek out playing Halo Wars 2, Halo 5, and Halo Infinite, just because I'm curious and I'm interested. Um, and I just wanted to mention that, because I know a lot of people have asked it, and it's something that's been on my mind, too. I very much liked these games. There were some issues along the way, but I think this was a worthwhile playthrough, if just for the big top th four games by themselves. Which I'm not going to tell you what they are, but you already know that four is one of them. <laughs> you probably know the number one slot, too. Final thought. If the games... If the story of Master Chief stopped here, if there was no more Master Chief in future Halo games, I know I've asked this before, but would you be okay with that? I got nothing else to add. I hope you've enjoyed this overall series. It's been fun, guys. I'll see you next time.